Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi there, guys, um, and welcome to another episode of the Performing Musicians podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by the delightful Stella Angelica, um, singer, songwriter, vocalist extraordinaire, and uh, <laughs> all-around nice person. So, uh, hi, welcome to the pod. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. How are you? You all right? I'm good, thanks. As good as I can be. Nice one, nice one. And where are you now? I'm at my mum's house in the living room. Nice, that's that's very specific. Yeah, it's, it's well, I, I don't know why I felt that was pertinent. It's just got the best internet, so yeah. <laughs> nice one. All right, and so um, before we get started, can you tell me a bit about yourself? What do you do um, and how long have you been performing? Yeah, um, so I am a singer and songwriter. Um I work full time as um, a performer. That's how I make my living, um, mainly in kind of high end restaurants and things like that. Background music, basically, um, and mainly jazz um, for the past good three years. I would say it's been mainly jazz, um, but I kind of almost consider that to be my day job. Um, and then my passion, I guess. I, lo- I love what I do, though. I love that. I don't want to do that a disservice, but um, I'm also working on building um, my own um, original music. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the career that I'm working on behind the scenes. Yeah. Lovely. And I've heard the music. It's beautiful. Denouement. Am I saying that right? Denouement. Um, so you're the second person to say it like that. I think it's pronounced denouement. Oh. Hey. <laughs> oh, that makes me sound like a wanker. Um, I looked, so I looked it up on Google. Well, I actually knew the word, but I did look up the pronunciation because I was like, no one's going to fucking know how to say this. I can't have a title of a song and no one knows how to say it. So I even posted a little video Um with the pronunciation, so I think it, I think it's denouement, yeah. Denouement. Yeah, it's French. So it's guess, French, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I thought it was denouement. I'm Australian. I have no cultural intelligence, so. Um, so where where are you from originally? So I was born and raised in this exact house in North London, um, but I'm a Greek Cypriot. So yeah, my parents were both born in Cyprus. So your first first generation, yeah, nice one. Yeah. Um, and before we get in the current situation, can you tell me what inspired you to first become a performer? Um, it's a really hard question, though, isn't it? Um, well, my dad is musical, 
Um, and he, yeah, he plays the guitar um, and the bazooka, which is like a Greek kind of guitar. Um, so, yeah, I kind of grew up listening to um, the like Greek folk songs and like him, him performing it with my uncle, his, who's also musical. Um, so I think that was probably my first like introduction to music, I guess. Um, I just had it around me a lot. Um, yeah, and I, I also learned the guitar for like a very brief period. And then I obviously just decided it wasn't cool. Um, and so I, I lost my guitar. Um, I think, I don't know if I have to put that in inverted commas, because my parents were like, how the fuck do you lose a guitar? Like, so I lost the guitar and I kind of stopped that in secondary school. But I, yeah, I kind of always sung. And, and then in secondary school, I kind of got, maybe even a bit before then, I kind of got into like R&B. I was really, really big into R&B and soul. And um, yeah, and that's just kind of from there, really. I just, at any opportunity, I would sing, I guess. Yeah. Nice one. And who would you say are your biggest influences? Like what, what, what sort of really get the blood pumping? Um, so there's so many and it's really, I find this really hard. Um, it's a tough so, question. So, it's a tough question. Yeah, I think, I think it is because like there are certain like vocalists who like their vocal prowess were just like, I'm just floored by, for example, Beyonce, um, Jennifer Hudson. Um, do you know Cynthia Erivo? She's she's amazing. But yeah, so like I, I'm like I love a good vocalist. Like I love a good vocal tone. Um, Tori Kelly, I really like. But then I also really like um, the content. So there are certain like lyricists that I find really moving, and often. Although I'll be impressed by a vocal, I'll be more moved by a lyric or an idea or just, a, 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 you know, like the music. Um, so I really like, I really love John Mayer. I think he's an amazing songwriter. Um, yeah. Who am I most influenced by? So my, so I maybe would say Maria Callas, who, do you know who that is? Yeah. But isn't she like a classical performer? Yeah, she's a classical singer, um, opera, really. Um, and she just is, every time I, she's just so emotive. Um, and I just can't listen. She just moves me so much. And that there's a certain like, like immediacy or like just like pain or something in her vocal that I just, I just respond to. Equally, I love Billie Holiday for that reason. Um, there's just like a rawness there, um, which I really love. And then, but I also really love Ella cause she, but she's, again, she's more of a, like a, a machine, like not, not to say that she's like devoid of, um, soul cause clearly she's not, but like what she can do is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, and there's so much level. joy in her performance. So I'm not really answering these questions, am I? I'm no, you are. Of, am I? Yeah, okay. of course. There's, they're, they're huge influences. Uh, you can't. If you're, if you're someone who's a, a female sort of jazz and soul singer, you know, Ella Fitzgerald is huge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The thing is as well, because my, my kind of musical journey, I guess, has um, 
like taken me to very different places. Um, I've, I have like, yeah, I have very different um, uh, musical kind of influences. So yeah, like there's the classical thing, there's the Greek folk thing, which also like when I hear it, it just hits something in me, which is like home or like, I don't know, like a, an affinity. Um, and then there's the jazz thing, which is kind of most recent. So yeah. And then I love a good hip hop like record as well. So I love a fat beat. So, yeah. so you're, you're a uh, you're a you're a modern person. You have a, uh, a <laughs> you have an eclectic mix of influences. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I, the only thing I'm not really into is like metal. Maybe. Come on. Yeah, like I've never really, but I'm, I haven't actually like really sat down and been like, okay, let's understand this. It's not for everyone. Yeah, yeah maybe it's just not for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and so more with your sort of background. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned that your father played music or plays music. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were, were they? Was your family supportive of your choice of career or of your passion, or was it a struggle? Was it was it awesome? Can you you know talk on that? Yeah. So um, yes, they were. So I kind of like at the point where like I always wanted to sing. I always wanted to be performing. Both my parents are academics, so they were very keen um, for me to like. I guess, invest in that area growing up. Um, and like, there was no, I didn't question whether I would go to uni, for example, you know, like, um, but when I, at the point where I was kind of making that decision, um, and I guess uh, making a choice that was going to impact the rest of my life, I was going it was, I was going to be training as an opera singer. So it was going to, I was going to a conservatoire. It wasn't like, which I guess could be perceived in certain circles as, I don't know, prestigious or that's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not just not doing anything and sitting in my room and smoking weed and writing songs, which could be equal. You know, if I had chosen to do that, like I may have been more productive by this point, but it was maybe a decision that was, um, more accessible to them. Well, I guess it's more of that sort of classical education type of thing, you know, the yeah, yeah. studying the classics used to mean reading, you know, poetry, reading the classics, being oratory, getting that classical education, ballet, opera. So for yeah. people that are from an academic background, that's probably a lot more palatable than just being a grungy hip-hop star. Yeah, yeah. But still, I yeah. mean, what an amazing grounding in, in music to actually study like classically yeah it was it was amazing it's funny well, it was amazing it, it, sorry go you go on. no you go it was amazing and it was also one of the worst times of my life so I don't I I don't think I was able to like really soak up the nutrients as much as I could have um but yeah I mean it was a real privilege yeah it's funny because a lot of the musicians that I speak to that are from the UK, yeah. it's almost like accepted that you will go to college. Yeah. You will seek some sort of formal education. Whereas where I'm from in Australia, it's unusual. So really? if, if, well, if you're a performing musician, the likelihood is you've just picked something up and then gone and started playing. Yeah. Whereas yeah. 
um, over here, there's so many pathways and so many schools. Like in Australia, where I'm from, Brisbane, that's a city of two or three million, and there's one, basically one, two music colleges, and the rest you have to go to another city. You know, so you know if, if you live within, you know, if you live in in most of the major capital cities, or, well, most of the larger cities in the UK, there's some sort of music institution. Yeah. Which spe- yeah. you know, which speaks a lot to the generational sort of acceptance of culture and art in this country, I, I guess. Mhm. Mhm. Hey, interesting. Okay. Um. So, can you remember the first gig you played? Oh. Um. I think that. The first gig I played was um, at this place, like literally up the road from here. And it was this kind of like blues. It was kind of like a church hall type situation. Um, So, but like, yeah, I think like every Friday night, there's like this like blues club that kind of goes down. Um, And I rocked up there. I was like, this is when I kind of, first this was when I was just back from college and I was kind of first um stepping like out into doing this kind of thing um and I had this like backing track for this song that I'd partially written I don't god knows what the production situation was for that backing track at that time but it was like so inappropriate like it was not blues um and I just it wasn't good yeah it wasn't good (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> but did yeah. did you did you enjoy it or? Um do you know I can't remember. <laughs> I actually can't remember. That's bad, isn't it? No. No. I mean I, I remember distinctly my first quote unquote gig. It was okay. it was at my well, the first time I played in a in a band with a with a bunch of people and it was yeah. I was in year 10, 10th grade, yeah. and we played at, like, the, the, the final party for, like, the year for the school. Awesome. So we got up, and it was just really inappropriate because it was instrumental music, and I, was yeah. the, I, was, I wasn't even playing lead. I was a rhythm guitarist, yeah. and I just remember that feeling of standing up on stage and everyone was just watching, and it was... Yeah. Like I was just like, this is this is what I want to do, man. This is awesome. Uh, I wasn't singing. Yeah. I wasn't. All I was standing is standing, deathly still trying to remember my parts. Yeah. But then it was yeah. It, it, it's probably also because like that was my last year at that school, and then I moved to the bush for like nine years. So yeah, it was okay. yeah, it was. I distinctly I distinctly remember mine. But okay, okay. So hold on. If we're counting that as a gig, like I did, I did. I used to like. Does a school concert count? Yeah, man. Okay, so uh, okay, so I would have had yeah, I would have sung in school concerts. I remember one time singing "Santa Baby" at um, a school concert. I w- I must have been like fifteen, and in hindsight, I reckon that was also highly inappropriate the way I was singing that. It is. It is. It is a fairly sexual um, song, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm like, why did they let me sing that? Um, but um, yeah. Interesting. Well, my, my first proper gig was about a year later, and it was with us with a band made up of teachers at a local pub. And I think I was 16, and it was the, the drummer got so drunk that he fell off the <laughs> stage, and we had to get 
a, a drummer out of the audience because no. he was too, he just broke up with his girlfriend and he was so absolutely munted that he just couldn't sit on his seat anymore. So we got we dragged someone up out of the audience and it would start at about 120 beats and then by the end it'd be down to 80 beats a minute. So it was just <laughs> it was horrendous. But I I still loved it. Like that was my first that was my first ever paying gig. I think I was maybe maybe just gone 16. It was awesome. Wow. <laughs> had to get That's my mum had to get my mum to drive me. Okay, um, so can you discuss um, like a, a career highlight for you? So it doesn't have to be like playing yeah. at Wembley or the Royal Albert Hall. It could be playing at Wembley or the Royal Albert Hall. It could be yeah. your first gig. It could be a particular, like a song that you've written. Any, any, anything that really stands out to you so far. I mean, you're, you're fairly young, so you've, you, you know, you've, you've done a lot in this amount of time. So, you know, can you think of maybe one or two things that really stand out for you? Um, again, like, I don't know what it says about me that I can't really think of any. Um, and I, like, I haven't done Wembley or Royal Albert Hall, so potentially if I had done something like that, that would be a highlight. The things that are coming to mind are, like, just small moments where, well, I, I guess you would, you could describe them as that. For example, I did, again, like a, re a local gig fairly recently. And I was really, really anxious about it because it was just in this pub. And I find like those kind of gigs, and it was an originals gig. So like my default position with those kind of gigs is no one wants to hear it. No one wants to hear you. Like, um, so I go in with that. So if you go in with that, you, you know, like, how can you expect yourself to feel confident out there? Anyway, I just, um, I don't know how I did it, but I just connected with the room. Um, you know, like, it's fairly, like, rowdy, like, people were drunk and stuff, like, heckling. And, but I just engaged with them. And it felt like such a powerful moment for me because I, I, I was able to meet the level of the room I was able to like kind of understand the room and connect with it and like essentially that is that's the goal right the goal is to connect with your audiences and like that for me was one of the most effective um yeah well the the, the, the one of the best examples of that that I can recall with my music and you know like and I wasn't singing it wasn't like upbeat music for the most part it was like um, and, and, and they didn't know the, the tunes like one of them was like a ballad like it was and the room was still like and it was it was just such a moment it was just such a beautiful moment and I was so like to put it into perspective like the, when I've done that particular venue before I felt so empty and this happens a lot like with with original gigs and, and with covers gigs I, I get to the end of the night and I'm like I have given I've, I'm so depleted. I've given everything and I, ha I don't feel like I have, I don't feel full. I've, I just feel empty. Um, and on this occasion, like I felt so full and so energized and, so, and just so like, it just felt really beautiful and special to me. And I was like, that is, if I can, that is it. That is what I have to do every single time. So yeah, that's, that's an example for me. I don't know if that's, a, I don't know if it, you would consider that a highlight, but that's just what came to my mind. I think that's a lovely highlight, to be honest. I mean, if you can, 
I always say there's two, there's two universal languages. One's mathematics, one's music. And you can walk into any room, any mathematician in the world can communicate with another mathematician. I think music is the yeah. same. You can, yeah. If you have those little moments where you feel like you're actually speaking to people yeah. through music, yeah. that's something that, you know, is pretty is pretty special. I think that's, yeah. you know, that's something. I, I, I have the same thing. If I can get a room to shut the fuck up for like five minutes and listen to a song, yeah. I'm really stoked and that really makes me happy for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a really hard thing. I mean, that is it. Like, you know. To walk into a room cold and to play a bunch of tunes for people that don't know who you are and to get yeah. them to get them to engage with you and not only engage with you, but then come and communicate with you and then say, man, we really enjoy all that one song, man. I love that one song. Like that yeah. to me is like, that's what it's all about. It's, yeah. it's not yeah. about how many notes you can sing, how many range octaves you have or how many, you know, um, how many beats per second you can play your stupid guitar licks. Yeah. It's about yeah. like those little moments of real communication. Yeah. And the thing is as well, like in order for that to happen, you can't, there's not something you can plan or I'm sure it's a skill you can hone, but essentially I think the skill to be honed is just the ability to listen and be present. And because every, so like, I remember I had that in my mind. I was so pumped like from that experience. And then I had a, a gig like fairly, like uh, fairly soon after. And I was like, right, that's all you got to do. All you got to do is connect. Like, but I, I it didn't work. And afterwards I thought, so why didn't that work? And it didn't work because I went in trying to connect in the same way as I had connected with that audience. Well, it was a different venue entirely. It was a whole completely different vibe. And instead of listening, I just tried to like recreate that, that situation. So yeah, I think that's it. I think also uh, along those lines, commu communication is key, but also I think in a lot with music and the arts in general, context is key. The yeah, context yeah. in which you are standing there. So if you're, yeah, like if you're standing in the corner and there's no frame for you and there's no stage and you're just kind of standing there against the wall, you know, singing away. The context put frames it for everyone to go. Oh, that's background music. You sure. Know, if you walk yeah. in and there's a stage and there's lighting and it's people yeah. are there for that thing. That is the context cues people on how to integrate and communicate. So I think yeah. as musicians. Yeah. I'm, I know, you know, for myself, I'm incredibly guilty of it. I, I you know, I'll do something, ama you know, well, amazing to me on the guitar and I'll be like, yeah, I fucking nailed that, man. And I'll, <laughs> yeah. and I'll look around and everyone's not paying any attention. And that'll, that'll break my heart because I think, you know, I've been playing guitar for over 30 years and I've just done something that's just amazed me. Why aren't you yeah. amazed by me? And yeah. that's, yeah. you know, yeah, that's yeah. not, but that's not the context. The context is not there. So oh, no, okay. now, now, whenever I plan, I'm about to do something like spectacular on the guitar. I set it up. Like I say, this is really hard and I might fuck this up. So bear with me. And then if you don't fuck it up, people are like, yeah, yeah that was cool. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I try to do that now because I don't expect anyone to pay attention to me unless I'm, you know, trying to, trying to do something or communicate with them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, very interesting. Before, so before the current situation, can you describe yeah. your daily or weekly routine, sort of gig and arts-wise? How many gigs a week would you normally do? What sort of venues or functions? Was it covers or originals or combinations? So what was your life like pre-this? 
Corona. Yeah. Um, so I would say it would range from like one gig a week to like, I don't know, probably max it's ever been is like four. Like that's a good week and that is not like regular. Um, and and that's that's covers covers gigs. So that's um, the background gigs basically. Um, honestly, for the last, I reckon it's been like two years. I haven't really been gigging my own material, um, so it really has mainly been um, that kind of thing in terms of performing. Um, but I, I, still, within the week, there will be stuff that I'll be working on for my music. So standardly, I'll have like two studio sessions a week at least. Um, and then all the other stuff that you have to be doing, so like social media and all of that, and planning the music video and going shopping for the outfits and all of all of those extracurricular things. So um, yeah, cool. So you sort of you'd regularly perform, but most of your energy goes into sort of setting up and and recording and and and, and doing your own original stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, I was this. I was listening. I was listening through to. Um, on Spotify yesterday through all your music and it's just great, man. There's so much good stuff. Uh, in there. Thank, you. Um, thank you. People should go and check that out. If you're listening to this, <laughs> go and check it. Yeah, stop, please, what, stop what you're doing. Do. Stop what you're doing. Put this down, go and check it out and then come back and you'll, you'll be much happier. Um, <laughs> what's, because you, you're a London native and you play in London. This is where you grew up. What's sort of your favourite style of venue to play and what's your sort of least favourite, if, if you want to talk about least? Yeah. Um, well, again, like, I would probably have to break this up into, like, originals and, and then, yeah. So um, for function gigs, um, so I do – so it, they're, they're pretty much all background. I can't think of any – pays me that isn't background um my favorite place like by a country mile to play in that arena is um a place called Park Chinois which is like my probably has been my most regular gig um and it's my favorite for like a few reasons one because the sound is is good like I would go so far as to say it's my favorite venue in terms of sound um, second, because like kind of what you were saying about context. So it is a restaurant. It's a Chinese restaurant, but there is like a stage. It's like maybe a little bit elevated and like the, there is, there is seating like all the way around you. So there are people behind us, but there is a stage for us. Like that's our space. And it's like, it's decent and there's lighting and it's like, it's a proper thing Like they've invested in it. Um, so when we're there, playing the music yes it's background and yes no one's listening well sometimes they are like some you know it, it varies from night to night like sometimes we'll get a really we'll get some applause but um sometimes no um but like it does it just doesn't matter in that in in at this particular venue because we can he, I, I can hear my band so well enough that like we're just we're just jamming like we're just we're having the best time like I love it. Like I have, I think since doing that gig, you know, with, with this, with, with like that, that set up. So it's, it's normally like me, um, piano, there's a, there's a lovely piano, drums and bass, double bass. And I, and I would say since doing that gig, I have come on as a, as a singer, um, not just in terms of like my vocals, but just my general like musicality, like my rhythm, everything. So much, so, so much. Like I, I, I really feel privileged to have that gig. 
um, so yeah, that is that's definitely my favorite. Because it's just it's just great. Like we just we're just playing and like and that's where I really really started to learn about like musical interaction, like like and really start to tune into that properly. Um, you know, like responding to the drummer or respond like that. That wasn't something that I truly kind of understood in my body until I started working. And also, I think it was probably just the case that it was a very regular gig, so I was I was doing I was performing very regularly. Okay, so that's that's like my favorite. I guess my worst is I guess like like you were saying the context. So like we we would have places that would put us in the most ridiculous like positions in the so we had one place that would i'm not going to name the name but we don't don't um okay i won't yeah just think they might they might employ me give me a few quid on point um they put us like right in front of the door so like literally the people would have to like i'm i'm uh, you can't see me but like um they people would be so close to me and like, and the and the kind of like hostess or like concierge type person was there as well. So I'm just like watching. I would just get so distracted. And this was mainly duo. So there was always duo actually. Um, so it would be myself and Jacqueline on guitar, who um, I work with all the time. And he would he would have to be like Stella, pay attention because I I would just be like totally engrossed in like whatever dramas were going on, like all the time and it just but also we were freezing because the door just kept opening and closing so yeah i think gigs where they put you in stupid places they're probably my worst yeah this is uh this seems to be a common thread actually a lot of people say either location or when you've been hired to do something that you're not actually you're not actually good at so people hire you simply because they have to have something or people hire you to play jazz if you're a rock player or rock if you're a jazz player Oh, wow. That, yeah, that must be yeah. horrendous. That's a recurring theme. Um, okay. And overall, would you say you enjoy performing in London? And um, how have you seen the scene change in your time performing here? I'm not sure whether I, I've been playing in London, like, long enough, like, consistently enough to be able to answer, like, how I've seen it changed. I mean, one change that I kind of notice over and over again is like that fees get cut. But I don't know if that's like happened over time. I don't think if that, if I don't know if that's like a downward trend. Um, but that is definitely something that I have noticed as a recurring thing. You know, like a venue will start up, you'll have a certain fee, and even just like a certain way that you'll be treated, like, just the food you'll get or, or like where they'll put you to sit within the venue. And then like, I don't know, a few months down the line, they're like, yeah, we don't have to do that. Let's half the fee and they can eat something shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh, I mean, I have seen, a, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've only been in London for, well, not quite five years. So I've seen a little bit of that. I also think some of that is, just the arc of a venue as well. Like if a venue opens yeah. up or they get new artists in, you know, it's yeah. a little bit of it is like, oh, these are new and exciting people. Once people get to know you, like, yeah. you know, and even if you play different songs every week and if even if you're doing like spectacular things, it doesn't mean so much to, you know, a, a, a bar manager, does it? No, no. But anyways, yeah. 
Um, okay, well, that was, that was awesome for like pre, the pre-COVID stuff. Yeah. Now um, we're going to move on to the, uh, the, more, the more actual sort of post and during sort of this particular crisis. So um, now all the gigs have dried up due to the lockdown. Um, how has this affected your income and situation? Did you have other income or jobs before the virus? If not, have you found other work or any other things that you need to do to bring in money? Um, so my income has completely dried up. Um, so yeah, that's the, that was the only way in which I made money. I mean, other than like maybe a few pounds from streaming. Um, but yeah, so it's completely gone. Um, and I haven't yet found another way to make money. <laughs> so yeah. 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 Um, so you speaking of streaming, yeah. have you personally been doing any of that yourself? Have you have you looked at it? Have you been doing any of it? As in like the live stream type thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I've done so I did my first one ever the other day. Um and that was for a blog um called Bit Sweet Symphonies. I think their Instagram handle is Symphonies Blog. Um and um I think they've done a feature of on me a while back and, and they asked me to do it like kind of take over their Instagram um, so yeah I did that um, and I actually really enjoyed it spent the whole day being nervous about it and then I actually really enjoyed it like there was something um, well it's the closest thing you can get it's to doing it live I guess um, so yeah I, I did that um, and I think I think I, I will definitely consider doing more like on my own page. Um, yeah, and just kind of like, we don't know how long this is going to carry on for. So, um, you know, I ha it's definitely something I've been thinking about, you know, like what, what can I do to, um, to keep, keep performing? And like, yeah, so it's, it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Yeah, I did, my, I did my first one last weekend as well, and it was, it was actually really lovely because it's, you know, it's not so much about... It's a little bit about trying to set up a, a, a context for, for income, but it's also about like just reaching out to people. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, had, I had people from all over the world, you know, reach out. People that, That's you know, so cool. from, from Europe and from Australia and from, you know, every, yeah, all over the island, all over the place. People just tune in to just, you know, they might only tune in for like five minutes, watch one song, but I mean, at yeah. least at least they've given you that little bit of their time, you know? Yeah. I mean, everyone's got, you know, most people have got a lot of extra time on their hands, but still, yeah. you yeah. could just be watching YouTube videos and, you know, yeah, playing yeah, World yeah. of Warcraft or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> how would you, oh, did, did you have a place at all set up to record or do those things at home or? Um, so we did it in this exact room. Um, just purely because the internet is the strongest, like I said. Um, so it's not, as you can see, it's just a living room. So, um, yeah, we have kind of set up a little home studio situation upstairs, um, but the internet's just not great in that room, so we didn't do it in there. Um, yeah. Did you? Were you where you are? Well, I mean, I, because, because we have... I'm, live with my wife and my two children like basically the front the front room I had set up as like a small studio for myself and now basically that's my wife's office so okay. I don't really have a space a designated space anymore so I take I take that back over on the weekends 
And then okay. um, in the interim, I'm just basically I'm just um, I'm I'm teacher. I'm the homeschool champion. So yeah. I help. I print things and I I look after things and I you know make sure the house is running, make lunch and make breakfast and all that stuff. So my role is mostly as um, basically just being a dad. <laughs> yeah, parent. So all week, basically, you don't. There's no kind of creative no. time for you. No, no. But I mean, uh, you know. I mean, I, I try and make sure that I take like an hour here or two to practice as often as yeah. I can. Yeah. Um, but no, the, there's no creative time, not for, not for myself. Yeah. And that probably, probably goes to my next question. Um, how, how have you found that it, this has sort of affected your creativity? I know for me, the first couple of weeks, even like the first month nearly, I just wasn't yeah. creative at all. Like I was just stressed and sad. Yeah. But I mean, how long has it been now? Well, I mean, we started. Well, I, I know. If I look at my calendar, it was March. Basically, we. My last gig that I did was the seventh of March. Right. And then I was supposed to do a bunch of gigs the following weekend, but I got really sick. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I might have already had it, man. To be honest. Oh, really? I don't. I don't know. Um, I. I mean, people who listen to this podcast are going to be sick of this story, but I was in bed for nearly two weeks. Um, oh, wow. And I, got, I did a gig on, on Saturday. We, well, we, we went to Iceland. My wife and I went to Iceland. Oh, we, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. We came back on Friday night. I did a gig on Saturday, woke up Sunday feeling rubbish, and then Tuesday morning I woke up to go to the loo in the middle of the night or in the early morning and just passed out. Because my, my fever was like crazy through the roof. And I had the hacking cough and I was running crazy fevers and headaches. And I was in bed for, well, all told I was in bed for probably about 10 days. Just not leaving the room and stuff. So, yeah, it was oh, probably not quite. But I, I, it took me nearly a month to recover. Wow. So, yeah. It, well, that, it sounds like you had it. Well, I mean, who, you know, who had knows? something. I had something. I mean, I lost, I lost my sense of taste for a couple of weeks, which seems to be some sort of indicator. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then, you know, it could have just been, I, you know, it could have just been affluenza. Oh, if, not affluenza, influenza. <laughs> Afflu- I wish I had affluenza. Um, in- influenza. So, you know, who knows? The ambulance said it wasn't. The doctors said it wasn't. But it was all telephone consults. No one, I didn't get tested. That's it, isn't it? So. So, you know, but my... Also, my wife got really sick in January. Like, we've been, we've been together. Well, the reason we went to Iceland, we've been together for 20 years. And she got, this is the sickest I've ever seen her. Like, just the hacking cough that just would not go away. Two courses of antibiotics. We ended up going to the hospital, like, basically saying, do something. And they said, we can't do anything. Um, so, like, yeah, it was, it was really, she was sick for about five weeks, six weeks. So she may, she may well have had it already or it could have just been a really bad influenza as well. We don't know. And yeah. Yeah. no one's tested. They won't let you get tested. Like I said to the ambulance officers, like I've got kids, mate, and, you know, like I've just passed out. I haven't passed out in my adult life yeah. um, and I've just passed out from an incredibly high temperature. Can I get a test? And they're like, nope, no test for you. You're not rich. Is that – I mean, they obviously didn't say that, but – you can get private tests. When was this then? So how long ago was... This was the start of March. So this was... When I passed out was the 
10th of March, so about six weeks ago. So that was quite kind of early on in the UK's kind of... But I think like the week or two weeks after that, Idris Elbow's got, got it, or the week after, and he got tested. Of course he did. Because I, yeah. I think he paid like four or 500 pounds to get a private test. Really? Yeah. So they, they, they say this disease is the great equaliser, but it's not. Because if you're wealthy, you're, you're going to be okay because you can afford not to work for a while. But if you're not wealthy... Yeah. 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 Um, and on that, let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. Um, how do you feel about like, the overall response from the government? How is that sort of, how, what's your general perception of that? How do you feel about how they've responded? And how, you know, do you have any thoughts on how they might be able to you know, improve their response? I think I think my the, the the overwhelming thing that I would like I think the thing that I think most is that it's just been really unclear. I think I think if there had, if there had been more clarity from the beginning um I think that would have helped massively. I mean, I don't know whether it's intentional, you know, in, it being intentionally unclear. Um, like, I know, obviously, they're definitely worried about the economy. So I wondered at the start, you know, were they were they not being really, really clear about, you know, stay home? Because, you know, it took quite a long time for us to actually lock down. And was that intentional? Was that because they were kind of worried about the economy and hoping that some people could still kind of keep propping it up? Um, and, you know, there'll be a few losses, but that's going to be what's going to be best in the... I, I don't know, you know, uh, um, I mean, I am a, I'm a cynic, and um, and I did not vote this government in. But um, what? <laughs> surprising, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. So, you, mean, uh, you mean you're you're a young person who is an, a musician and an artist? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you do if I was like, I I love them. Well, I wonder what you. I mean, I've had a lot of interesting responses and a lot of people that have actually said that they're happy with their, well, you know, that being impressed with the responses have been, you know, from people who come from the same worlds as we do that have a different That's take on it. And I, and I mean, some of it has been, you know, I mean, I've interviewed, I'm not a huge amount of people, but I've also spoken to a lot of people and, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the people that you would think would be like, oh, burn the Reichstag, it's time, we're going, well, in actual fact, like, I'm, I'm a, to be honest, I mean, I, I'm as about well i'm not an I'm, I'm not an anarchist i would say that i'm like i'm definitely to the left of most people that i know and i was impressed yeah. by the early economic response by the tory government yeah me too me too and i i spoke to i don't know if you know edmund jeffrey yes i do i do know him, yeah. he had a really interesting take on it he actually said that um he was happy that it was a, a tory government doing the handouts and not the conservative governments. Sorry, it's not the, not the no, Labor, yeah, because Labor. if Labor had have done it, the Tories would have yeah. been screaming blue murder about socialism. And yes, it's true. So I think, yeah. in a way, <clears throat> I mean, my personal opinion is they, 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 they bottled it at the start. Like they, yeah. they, sh they knew what was coming, and exactly what you said, they balanced the deaths against the economy. And the science minister actually said that recently. We, we kind of bottled it at the start because we tried out this basically like a herd immunity. Before, before they sort of admitted how actually severe and, and hyper-deadly this thing could be, they kind of said, well, 
you know, there'll be a few thousand die, but yeah, I won't get as much return on my tax and you know, my long-term investments might be slightly dipped for a while. So, you know, they're poor, but it's not just poor people now. So there's been a lot of prominent people and people, you know, Boris Johnson for one. Yeah. You know, if, you know, I've also heard a lot of people say, well, I don't think he was really sick. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Which I kind of don't believe because that, I, yeah, I, think he, I, mean, I think he was legitimately yeah. ill and I think he's, if anything, you know, when he, when he first got sick, I said one of two things will happen. He'll die and the Tories will try and destroy the NHS even more because they say it's a bad system or he'll survive and then the Tories will say we need to privatise the system to make it more efficient. So at the moment, no one's saying that, but I, I'll say it here. <laughs> By this time next year, if the... Um, if, they, if we recover from this and we're back on track, the Tories will undoubtedly push for more privatisation to increase um, response times, which is just antithetical to anything that's been proven so far, but they'll do it because that's what they're paid to do. I, yeah. I'm, yeah. I really hope, though, that there's going to be a higher level of pushback against those ideologies now. I sincerely hope so as well. Never underestimate the power of m the media. I know, I know, yeah. Because I think at yeah. the moment you've got, you know, and I mean, to, the, one of the reasons that I emigrated here is I think there is a greater acceptance of arts and, like, general education, I think, is much more accepted here than, say, in my country or in America or some of the other, quote-unquote, first-world countries. So I think my, my hope is people will actually go, Holy shit, like, the UK at the moment has the fifth highest death rate per capita. Like, and that's with the NHS. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's two reasons for that. One of the reasons is the NHS is really good at collecting and reporting statistics. So I think a lot of the other countries that are saying they haven't had that many deaths uh, actually have way more than what they're reporting. Right, um, yeah. And I think, um, what was my point? The, the other thing is, like, um, the NHS and the acceptance of that, I think, has been held up in stark relief. I think a lot of people that have recovered or have someone they know recovered will actually really go, no, hang on a minute. The NHS is a great system. Stop yeah. trying to destroy it, which is my hope. That's my hope as well. Yeah. Although yeah. Boris Johnson won the last election in a landslide, and he's a bumbling buffoon. So... Who knows? I know, but like, I, I, yeah, again, like, I'm just, I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this is going to affect politics and, and people's opinions. And um, because, I mean, we're still early stages as well. This is what, so like when you were saying, you know, like, I, I totally agree when, you know, when they first kind of rolled out the, you know, the e economic um, um, measures and stuff like I. I was really impressed as well. Like, I, I, I was quite surprised, honestly. Um, especially, I know there were kind of, uh, the, the self-employment stuff was just a bit behind. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a bit of a kind of reaction to that not being done at the same time and all of that. But, but they did it. And I, and I, and I was quite impressed um, with what they, they did actually say they're going to roll out. I think what's going to be interesting and and, and 
is going to well it's going to be the decider really as to whether it's good or not it's kind of how, how it continued how they continue to um roll out these things and you know like we don't know how long it's going to how long it's going to be going on for and and how how long are they going to support everyone you know like are they are they going to and um you know i've heard loads of um accounts of people n- not getting the the support that they're saying that we'll be getting and stuff so i don't know i i'm i'm just hoping that yes he did win in, in a landslide last time um but i'm hoping that this has affected so many people that i don't know there will there will be a a change of opinion but i, I yeah who knows well i think yeah I, th- I think you're right but i think also like the fact that they that public opinion is shaped by the media and the, oh, no. the media yeah. is owned by a bunch of people that have vested interest in keeping the status quo because that's how they make their money so yeah. i think if anything if anything this is a disaster for the labor party and the progressive the progressive wings because everyone can now point at the socialist the socialist policies that have been rolled out by the tories mm. and say look the tories they're on top of it they're the great economic managers whereas whereas they they're basically doing what labor's been advocating for for years yeah. labor's been advocating yeah. like you know not not so much stating a universal basic income but they've been talking about a lot more support for welfare programs they've been talking about free wifi for people like that was a major platform they've been talking about nationalizing and reintegrating transport systems so that you know the people that live in the country have more control like these are all fundamental labor principles that are now being taken yeah. over by the conservatives so for me yeah. i think i think it you know if 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 i want to get really cynical i think it's if if the death rate stays below say 50,000 which i don't yeah. think it will but mm-hmm. i hope it does then the tories even though they basically gambled the economy against human lives will come out on top and boris will be held up as a hero for all times because he's effectively a wartime president a prime minister mm. so you know i maybe not oh, you know i'm just a dumbass muse so i don't really know anything but that's that's how i that's how i've been reading it lately there's a lot of reverence for the the way the tories are handling it and basically the reason that so many people have died like the reason that the uk is one of the highest death rate countries is because of the way they handled the early stages if they had yeah. of lockdown quicker if they had of instigated the programs if they had of done a lot of stuff faster than what they did when they knew it was there because they knew they mm. all knew that there yeah. may have yeah. been there may have been say 10,000 less deaths and mm. one death is a tragedy 10 10,000 is a statistic you know mm. it it gets lost mm-hmm. for sure yeah anyway i'll take my tin foil hat off um so how has it affected your creativity to to get back to the earlier question um another interesting question um i would say that my kind of general creative output is not something that's very consistent um normally 
So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be um, accurate to say, you know, I was, I was very creative and now, and now it's gone down. I would say it's, I've been very unsettling um, and being in my mother's house um, and there's, you know, lots of people around and, um, and my brother who was in Australia as well and he came back just, just before lockdown. Um, so there's a lot of people around and I'm, I'm with my family um, and um, I'm someone that gets very distracted and very drawn into um, what's going on for everyone else and what everyone else is feeling. Um, and so that just one conversation with someone can be enough to kind of switch me off creatively. So, so in, in that sense, it, it, it's definitely not the most creatively fertile environment. Having said that, like my first, my, my kind of first thought when, when, when we went, first went into lockdown was, great I'm gonna have so much time I'm gonna get so much done because because we do a lot of like um production at home so I was like it's just unlimited creative time um which of course just didn't happen and, and I was and I was kind of like seeing um lots of people on you know like on, on all the socials doing kind of quarantine sessions and, and lo loads of videos and things like that and I just felt like shit and I was like why why can't I do why can I not bring myself to do any of that and then it got, basically got to a certain point where I was like, do you know what? I d like, this is, it's a horrendous time. But when am I ever going to have this much space and stillness to really kind of sit with everything and like, work things out about myself? I'm never going to have this time again. And I'm never going to have this time again with my family. And I just kind of made a decision I don't care if I'm not, if I don't, if I don't achieve anything over this time, like, because I, like, there are certain things that are more important to me. Um, but also in a different way, like in terms of like creative pursuit, like I've, what I've been doing is instead of like um, desperately like trying to like, have a schedule and get up at seven and be on top of it and like do my morning routine. I've just been not doing that. I just haven't set an alarm and I've just allowed myself to massively oversleep. And that's felt like I've, I've felt like shit every time. Um, but I've just been like, that's cool. We're just going to sit with that and we're going to work, we're going to work through that and like all, all kinds of different things. So I've like, I've had a lot of issues with food um, in the past and I've noticed those like flaring up and I've just been trying to be really, really mindful about it. And like work out, okay, so after I eat this, then I've been feeling like that. And just take this time to kind of look at all the things that you just don't have time for because you've just got to button up and get on with it um, in normal life. So although it hasn't felt like I've been being very creative, for example, last week I didn't do anything, nothing like, I mean, I did some social media stuff, and all, but, you know, nothing really that we consider to be great creative work. Um, all week and then Sunday I woke up and I was just like pumped like focused I was in some kind of flow state um, and we just myself and Jack like we just got in the studio and we just created this is actually a version of Little Serenade which is my last single for those who don't know um, a completely different version and it was just amazing and I could sing it you know there are days when I'm like I can't fucking sing like I can't even why can't I sing this, you know? And so, although for the majority of the week, I may not have been 
that creative, like on paper, the creative out, like the net creative output, like by the end of the week may have in fact been greater than if I had, you know, done what I'm supposed to do every morning, got up and like done the routine and I'm bossing it and, you know, like got in the studio, but actually maybe, maybe the work at the end of that week was better. So that's something I'm really trying to like, just allow myself to, to kind of work on and sit with and just deal with the days when I'm like, oh man, I've done nothing and it feels terrible. I'm just, I'm just kind of like allowing for that. Um, and also almost like indulging it just as a, like an, an exercise, an investigation, I guess. So that's really cool. That <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. That's a really healthy way to look at it actually. I find, oh, I find uh, I'm a very, like, I'm a very output-based person. So if I haven't done anything for a while, I get very like, oh, I'm never going to oh, be able to oh. do anything again. And I have those days as well where I pick up, because I'm, you know, I mean, I sing, but I'm primarily a guitar player. So I, I pick up my guitar and yeah. then I play and I'm like, oh, you're rubbish now. Like, you're just the worst that's oh. ever been. And why, why are you so shit? And why would you ever, ever think you could play? And then you go, okay, I'll just put that down and then I'll come back again tomorrow and it'll be better. Or it won't, and it might be like that for a while. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I know for me, like the first – like I play, I play every day almost habitually, but yeah. for me the first two, three, four weeks was just nothing. There's nothing coming. There's nothing going to come. Like that's it. The, the switch has been flicked. But now it's sort of – Ideas are percolating and there's things happening. I'm not, I'm not writing yeah. anything because everything's about freaking COVID-19. But we'll see. Hopefully, you know. I mean, this is the thing. Like, when it's, I've, d- I've definitely kind of, like, calmed down as well. I think when it first started, like, there was just, there was just a level of anxiety in the air. Like, uh, for me, anyway. You know, like, I'm, 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 I'm a very sensitive person. So that was, it just, like, in hindsight, for me to not think, immediately that you're not going to get anything done at this time like just 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 try and like like curb your anxiety like that's enough of a task come back in four weeks and we'll 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 think about writing a song you know like so I think just allowing yeah allowing being gentle with yourself like is really important in times like this and then and I think that's honestly how I how you get back to the creative flow um as, as fast as possible and just also it's it's just a nicer nicer stance to take because you know you already feel like shit then if you're going to beat yourself up about it that's just not like you know like you wouldn't if, if, if you came to me and you were feeling like shit and then I started being like saying horrible things to you I just would never do that you know you just wouldn't do that to another person so why do we think Obviously, it's, it's an unconscious process, but it's certainly something that I'm trying to be more conscious of. That's yeah. really cool. It's yeah, it's really it's a hard protest, protest process, especially as a creative person, because so much of it is within your own head and within your own thought patterns. Ah. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I personally have been seeing a, a coach to try and get past that, to okay. try and yeah, to actually try and shut off the little voice that says you're garbage and you're worthless. You know, that's that's a really you know that's a really strong it's a really strong motivator in how you actually approach yourself and your your artistic sort of creativity if you 
if yeah. you can be fair with yourself and say, actually, that's quite good. Like that's actually quite good rather than, yeah. you know, my, my default setting as a, as a somebody who tries to create things is like, oh, that's rubbish and everything is rubbish and everyone's already done it. So why, would, why should you do that? You're garbage, you know. So it's a really interesting process. I'm, I started doing that well before the crisis hit and I found it, it's harder now just because, of, as you say, there's a low burning anxiety. Still, still for me, I still feel it quite often. Yeah. Probably also because I've got kids and stuff, but, you know. Yeah. Um, so as, like, further to that, yeah. uh, what we are talking about before. So we just, we're, we're coming up to nearly an hour, so we'll sort of start to wrap it up. But okay. um, if this continues for a long time, like six months, yeah. a year, would you ever, would you consider doing something else? Would you consider changing careers, do you think? No. <laughs> um, no. Um, I'll certainly, like, start to consider how am I going to do this career in this, you know, like how am I going to modify how I was doing this career to fit um, this new regime? But I don't think I'll, no. I, I, um, I just, I just... The thing is, it's so funny because when I say, I was about to say, I just love what I do, which just makes it sound like it's a joy constantly. And it's not, it really isn't. Like I, I feel shit probably 90% of the time. Like I, I know people, like people think I'm quite a bubbly person and I, and I try and be that way, you know, like I try and put that energy out, but like internally I'm really, um, I just, I'm, I think I'm just destined to be someone that finds life a bit hard and that's fine. Like, uh, you know, like that's just, maybe that's just something what comes with my, maybe this, those qualities that make me be creative, be able to be the way creative in the way that I am. But I, I kind of, there are so many things I don't like about this career um, that I'm pursuing, but I've kind of, my my most recent stance on it is like, I'm so ready to take though, to, to like, to sacrifice areas of my life or things that could be better if I was doing a different career in the pursuit of this. Like I just, for me, I just, I'm willing to take it all because those moments that I've had that have just been like the the one that I described earlier, you know, like there, there's to me, that's everything. Um, and so like, if I can start to, and I do think you can cultivate those moments as well. And I am doing that. Um, so yeah, I, there's, there's nothing else that I would choose to do. It's funny. I've interviewed quite a few people now and, this is, seems to be the overriding theme of everyone, says no. Which is great. Which is awesome, which gives me a lot of hope for, you know, coming out of the end of this where a lot of people, you know, I mean, there are economic realities that you have to face. Of course. But I think, you know, if people are still staying hopeful and staying true to their sort of... Yeah. It, 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 whenever you get into this territory, it, it does start to sound a little bit naff and a little bit wanky. But it, I think if people are like stay true to their dream and keep following their dreams. I mean, yeah. kind of, if you've chosen this path, which is, yeah. you know, once again, another cliche, but it's the road less traveled. You sacrifice security, you sacrifice relationships, you sacrifice 
you know, a lot. You, if you choose this path, you're already, it's already tougher. I, th I personally yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people say, oh, you're, you know, you're a bloody, I mean, not so much here, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to rag on my own country here, but in Australia, people always used to say to me, no, no, what do you really do? Like, you know, you, you play music, but no, no, come on, what do you really do? Like, this is just a little hobby for you because you're, you know, you know, what do you really do? So for, for me, I think if, if you've chosen, if you're someone that's chosen this path, something, something like this, which is a complete sort of shock to the whole economic system, your life, your creative process, I don't think I've spoken to a single person so far that says, yeah, now I'm giving this up, I'm going to go do something else. Like pretty much everyone has said like, no, this is what I am and this is what I do. F fuck that. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is awesome I mean, and, and really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the thing is as well, like you say, like financially, you know, if I have to, if I have to get a job in a supermarket, I'm going to get, I'll just, do, I'll do that. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm going to not be creative. You know, like I'm still, that's still going to be as far. And it's kind of like funny how people say that, yeah, but what do you really do? You know, like even if you did have another job, let's say I had another day job. So I was a lawyer. I don't know. I could still say I'm a singer. That could still be how what, what I identify as. Just because I make my money this way, let's say, does not mean that's what I am. Like this is what I am. But it's funny how. I mean? But it's funny how people only accept that when you do it as a full time job. I know. Because people, you know, even I mean, I I've been playing. You know, I'm in my forty six now. I've been playing music like out in a public context for over 30 years yeah. and I only I, I didn't become a full-time professional musician till in my late 20s because I you know that you don't make a lot of money well you didn't used to make a lot of money in Australia for music you, you know it, yeah. it's still pretty common so even then for me it's still like a reflex action to say no no th this is what I do for a living like people say oh yeah. what, what do you pe people say oh I was an, you know because I was an electrician I used to work in a mine you know okay. so like for me, people say, what do, you, what do you do? And, you know, for me, fundamentally, for, for what, three quarters of my life, it's been music. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I, for, for the first 10 or few years, I had to get, have a job. So, yeah, yeah it's funny when you, when you put it in economic, people only can really understand it when you say, no, no, this is my full-time job. Yeah. And people then go, oh, yeah. cool. And, and you survive on that? Yeah, cool. Well, then that must be a real thing. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, they anyway. They it. Yeah. Humans are a funny, funny bunch. Oh, no. um, has this crisis directly touched you or your family? Do you know anyone that's been ill or...? Um, no, my immediate family, um, uh, yeah, have been fine. Um, yeah, I know, I do know of someone that had it, um, a friend of my uncle's who actually died. Um, so that was really weird and obviously really sad. Um, but yeah, touch wood so far, none of us have adopted it. Well, that's good to hear. That All right. we know of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we're just, we're just going to have to wind it up because we're going along. I'm just enjoying this conversation too much, mate. Um, what yeah. is your overall hope for um, the music and art scene after the crisis? Do you, do you think any positives, or what do you think? Will it be a positive, will it be a negative? Um, I, I think, honestly, I think the kind of 
the venues and stuff, I think it's going to be quite slow. I think we're going to, um, there's, I think it's going to be quite a dry season. I don't think there's going to be a lot of gigs going around. Um, so that is a worry. Um, but I think, you know, there are so many ways to make money from music now. And they're really fucking hard. Like, it's not to be like, oh, yeah, we'll just set up a Patreon. and You know what I mean? Like, it, it's really hard. Um, but there are those things there. And I do think we're going to maybe see a bit of a boom. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> how, can, how can people find out about Stella? Where, where should they go? Um, so, um, my, I have a website, stellaangelica.com and it's Angelica with a K or to be honest, the platform that I'm kind of most active on is Instagram and that's Stella Angelica music. Yeah. Awesome. There, I guess. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, I, uh, recommend people go also go and check out, uh, Stella's Spotify playlist, even though I don't really like that company. It's, uh, it's a great way to check out her music. It's a, uh, she's got some great tunes. And with one of my favourite guitarists on board, Jack Gillen. Hi, Jack. Big shout out. Um, yeah, so great. All right. Well, thanks very much, Stella. It's been lovely to chat to you. Yeah, it's been awesome. And uh, stay safe. Stay well. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you. See you, mate. Bye. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.